0: you guys would please just run next door and tell them to stop cutting onions first thing in the morning. We love the burgers, but just not right first thing. That'd be great. We're in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37. So our second attack, is that a good word? I don't know, at the story of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus. We're probably going to be in here for three or four um, uh, sessions as we go through. So we're in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 37 today, if you have your Bibles open in front of you. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Come and see, Lord," they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "See how he loved him!" But some of them said, "Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?" Hmm. So last week uh, we started off the first week of the new year with a, with a recap of our doctrinal statement, and we also read the Apostles' Creed. I had invited you at the time, and I always invite you, if um, there's any questions, if there's anything that um, concerns you about that, uh, to approach me with those. And Rich came up to me, and he made a very good point. In the the Nicene Creed, if you read the Nicene, there's a couple places there where it says, according to the Scriptures. If you've got that paper, there's a couple of them at the back of the church. Right after it says, and Jesus rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And I, I have to agree with Rich that it's important that you know that you can turn to the scriptures. You have to know that that's there for you, that it's right there at any time, and that all of this was according to the plan, and that it was right there, it was written down ahead of time. The next thing is, uh, we kind of ran out of time last week, but I didn't talk much about giving, about giving to the church. We don't pass the plate here at Canyon West, we just have the little black box at the back. And you should know that Nathan and I don't see the books, we don't, we don't see them. Um, Jill and a witness, they count the, the money every Sunday. And if you have questions about anything, about giving and about spending, feel free to ask. Ask at any time. There are no secrets here. Uh, when we talk about giving, you know we don't set a standard. We don't you know, grab W-2s or anything like that. Um, Brooke and I tithe. Uh, that's easy and it's fair. But quite frankly, give from the wellspring of your heart. If you look around, you're like, yes, Canyon West is my home church. This is where I belong, and I believe this place is on mission and is doing the work of God, then say so. And if not, then don't. There are three guiding verses, and I put a couple of them into your bulletins. The first one is Acts 2.42. We should be devoted. We should be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they're talking about, is we should be devoted to those things. Then John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24, and we're going to talk quite a bit about worship today, but this is the model for our church. The worshipers will, will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what we try to do, is worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And then Malachi 3.10 is the one that I put in here about giving. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And we see this. They said, we, we go next door. We just had food bank, and the storehouse was Overflowing. We have one and a half rooms in our church dedicated to storing food. We are busting at the seams on food bank days. We have one of the largest problems, one of the biggest things we talk about is how we're going to store, how we're going to move around, how we're going to organize the stuff for that mission. That's incredible. That's an incredible problem to have. But it is truth, and it, is, it shows to us over and over and over again that when we pray, When we serve, when we step out in those things, that God is faithful and He provides. So, to our passage, we are taking a lot of time to focus on the details. There are a lot of beautiful pieces in the details of our passage. You deserve, and the Scripture deserves, the time to examine this closely. These are real events that happen to real people in a real place. But it is a miracle, a supernatural event. It is the finger of God touching the earth. And this miracle, it should be on our minds and it should be on our lips when we think about God. Because this is God's hand reaching out to stop the natural process of death and decay. And we know... John's purpose. We know the purpose of John's gospel and why he recorded this. It's in John 20, verses 30 to 31. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in here, in the 11th chapter of John, is where we find the shortest verse in the Bible. It's 1135. Jesus wept. But this is also a place in this chapter, we get a short glimpse, we get a short walk with what the disciples got to walk with with three and a half years or so. We get a view into the mind, into the heart of Jesus. Here the deity and the humanity of Jesus is proclaimed. And it's an opportunity to get to know Jesus more intimately. This is the last public miracle that John records. It's not the last miracle in the book. There's one more at the Garden of Gethsemane where Peter hacks off the ear of Malchus and then Jesus fixes it. But this miracle is performed in the day in full view of the public with hundreds of witnesses. So we want to pay attention to some things because there's going to be some expressions of grief, some expressions of sorrow, expressions of love. We're going to see Jesus' judgment, his sovereignty, his power, his authority, his grace, his love, his mercy, and his compassion. And all of them are in the portrait that John paints in chapter 11. Our setting it takes place in two Bethanies. Bethany means house of the poor or house of poverty i put it up here on the screens, but we can compare that to some names that we know. Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethel, house of God. Bethesda or Bethsaida, house of mercy. Also a house of flowing water. There's a pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. One Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. It says it's about two miles away from Jerusalem. The other one is a day away across the Jordan River in Israel, the northern kingdom. If we flipped over in your book to John 3, 22 through 36... We can read about Jesus in this place. It was a place where John the Baptist worked. It's on the other side of the Jordan River. Jesus and the disciples are now back at this Bethany, Bethany 2, if you will, and verse 1040 tells us they are having success. People are coming to faith. They are reaping the harvest of believers planted by John the Baptist and his followers. We have people in our story today. We have Mary, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus, their brothers and sister. They have the disciples, and we have Jesus, and then we have this group of mourners who will become witnesses to the resurrection of Lazarus. Mary is a transliteration of Miriam, of Moses' sister. John MacArthur calls Miriam the savior of saviors, the deliverer of deliverers. Martha is myrrh, or strong, Think about the gifts that Jesus was given by the wise men. It's a valuable gum extract. It also smells good and has medicinal purposes as an analgesic. Lazarus is Eleazar, it means whom God helps. Whom God helps. And this is a family of believers. We don't want to get this confused. Their belief is not a prerequisite for this miracle, but they are believers. So if we are looking for examples to follow, In times of hardship especially, this family sets a good example. So we're going to take some time to notice how Mary and Martha and Lazarus live out their faith. The first time we meet Mary and Martha is in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary And it will not be taken away from her. We get this picture that Mary is kind of the quiet, studious one, whereas Martha is like her name. She's strong medicine. We get two very different pictures of faith. Both are okay. Mary worships by listening at Jesus' feet. Mary worships by anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and wiping his feet with her hair. Martha is a worker. She is a doer. She is bold. She is smart. She is strong. She's a lot like Peter, actually. So listen to this interaction with with Jesus. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, so she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Did you really just walk up to Jesus and tell him what to do? (laughs) Wow you kind of want to chastise her, right? Um, Martha, you know that is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? Quite frankly, I also want to be her. I want to be bold and strong in my faith. I want to walk up to Jesus and just say it. Lord, it isn't fair. She does call him Lord, by the way. Lord, it isn't fair. Help me. Tell them to help me. Bold, strong. Martha, Martha, Lord. Whenever anybody says your name twice, not good. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's strength needed tempering. Her boldness needed to soften with some time at the master's feet. Then Jesus says something remarkable. I don't know about you, but that passage in 1230 where he, Mary anoints Jesus' feet, it always sticks in, in my craw. It always bugs me because I don't get it. I don't get the picture. But Jesus says it is not just okay to worship me. It's the better. Of the choices that you can make, this is the better choice. In fact, time in worship, time in learning is what is better. That's a strong lesson for us, isn't it? that if we have a choice of how to spend our time, Jesus says, yeah, spend some time in worship. If you got a choice of being busy and running around and doing all the stuff, or spending some time at the Master's feet, which is better? The time at the Master's feet. That's what. John 12, 1 through 8 is that, that portion where, where Mary anoints his feet. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, there she is working, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Listen to what Jesus says, though. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. It's an odd passage, but it illuminates the personalities of Mary and Martha, right? Martha is serving Her brother, back from the dead, is at the table with the disciples, but something comes over Mary. She takes a jar of perfume. It's probably a lifetime supply. It's about 350 denarius, a year's wages, pure nard, which is still hard to come by. Uh, You can get the diluted stuff for about $100 an ounce. This was a pint, 16 ounces of pure nard. It comes from the Himalayas, by the way, and... If you didn't know or if you don't have a map in front of you, that is heck and gone from Jerusalem, especially by foot or by camel. Martha serves, Mary worships. We should do both. We are called to serve, but Jesus says worship is important. And this is our first takeaway for the day. It's to spend time in worship. Here on Sundays at the Ignited, somewhere... Spend some time in worship. We usually express our worship in song. Mary expresses hers in this beautiful, intimate picture, this proximity, this humility, this sacrifice, this giving. But listen to what Jesus says through both in both passages. So in the one, he says, Martha, Martha, you were worried and upset about many things, but Few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Then 7, 12, 7, or I guess we could go to 8. It says, you will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. Jesus says, worship. Worship is good. It is right and the better. And it's important that Jesus is the exception to the rule. Because he is the son of God, because he is God incarnate. He is the exception. We talk about worship when we talk about what to worship, when we talk about idols in our lives. Jesus is the one we can have. Jesus is the one thing that we can put on that pedestal. Jesus is the one thing that we can seek that intimacy with. He says, forget everything else. Toss all of that away. It's all rubbish. But me, you can hold on to. There are folks who have been attending church for a long time that that haven't had that experience, that experience of Mary's worship. We should. We should each take the time to have that intimate moment with Jesus. So let's shift tracks. We looked at Mary's worship. Now let's focus on Martha's faith. And I tell you, reading through this passage, it's a hard lesson for me. Because Martha is incredible. Her faith is incredible. And one thing that you notice is that in a short time, we only have a couple of meetings between the disciples and Jesus and Mary and Martha. She has a complete picture, a complete understanding, a complete grasp of the faith from creation to revelation. It's really quite amazing. And I believe that she is exceptional. But it's still a lesson that, man, When we have time together, when we have time in the word, when we have time in teaching, man, we got to get the whole gospel in. We got to teach it from A to Z. And one of the big lessons from this passage is that tomorrow is not promised. That we don't always get a tomorrow. We don't always get another chance. That when we share the gospel, it should be from A to Z. So that whoever it is that we are talking to, whoever we are talking about the gospel to, that they got it that they know and that they understand the whole picture. So we're going to see this from Martha. We're going to see her understanding of the faith and her complete picture. So the sisters send this message. We're in uh, 11.3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. says, Lord, the one you love is sick. They understand that Jesus is Lord. They understand that Jesus loves them. Then we go to 20 through 27. It says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, she calls him Lord. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, underline this verse. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's the promise. Listen to Martha's answer in verse 24. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Listen to her answer in verse 27 Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. John says Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. So if any of you are, are budding archaeologists, you want to get your leather jacket and your whip and your hat, that's a clue. That's a clue to the location of this Bethany. There is a town, it's an Arab town, that some believe is the Bethany of the Bible. I don't agree because it's about 10 miles from the walls of Jerusalem. It's not two. But its name, and I have a hard time with this, is Al-Isaria. That is a transliteration of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus in Hebrew is Eliezer. But that's where they believe that this took place. So verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That means that Lazarus died the day the messenger went out to see Jesus. He probably died shortly after the messenger left Bethany. Jesus and the disciples stayed for two more days. Then it's a day's walk back to Bethany. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Now, we should pause here for a moment, because we know something of Jewish burial customs of the time. They did not embalm like the Egyptians do or like we do. And we need to remember that we live in a culture that is very insulated from death. And we'll talk more about that in the last section. But for now, we need to understand that Lazarus, he died. He was wrapped in burial clothes, white linen usually, if they could afford them. They were embalm, They had spices. They would rub on the, the cloth, these perfumes, to keep the smell down until the body had decomposed enough that it didn't smell. And then it was laid in a cave. And usually they had some kind of a stone door over the cave to keep the smell and the critters out. So Lazarus was probably quickly, probably within hours, wrapped and laid in the tomb. And he has been in the tomb for four days. And Martha knows this. Why would she get up and run? Why run to Jesus? What's the hurry? She just wants to be with him. She just wants the presence and comfort of Jesus. She hasn't changed. She's the same Martha that we read about in Luke. First thing, right? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She is still bold, still strong. But listen to her understanding. She knows Jesus is Lord. She knows Jesus can heal. She read John 8 before John wrote it. If you were to flip back a couple of pages, pages, John eight sixteen, it says, But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because why? Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Wait, what? She understands this? John 8, 27 through 30 says the same thing. They did not understand what he was telling about his Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I Am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Martha understands this. She understands that Jesus and God are one. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Verse 30 there. John eight forty two. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Martha understands that Jesus and God are one. And if Jesus asks, it is within the will of God. Now, she is humble. She doesn't ask for her brother back. Compared to Luke, where she told Jesus, you know, what to do. When she was like, hey man, tell my sister to get up and help me. She doesn't do that this time. Instead, she expresses her grief. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But... I know you will do the will of God. Now, this beautiful back and forth, the next section, this kind of this hurdle that Jesus sets up. Now, Jesus knows what's in Martha's heart, and Martha knows what's in Martha's heart. This conversation is not between those two. It is for everyone else. There's this crowd of witnesses that have come out. So this next part, what John is writing down is for the disciples, it is for the witnesses. The two people having the conversation know what's going to happen here. This is for us. We should pay attention to this. Because in verse 4, Jesus has already said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So the disciples already know that Lazarus is going to be fine. And that God's going to be glorified. The disciples know that. They know they have come there to resurrect Lazarus. They also know that the sickness has a purpose. It is for God's glory and that Jesus will be glorified. So listen to this exchange between Jesus and Martha. This is for us. It says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. If you have any questions, is there going to be a resurrection on the last day? Yes. Right there. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Who is the resurrection and the life? Jesus is. How do we get there? How do we get this? Oh, by believing in Jesus. He says right here, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. Martha already believes. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us. She says, yes, Lord. This verse 27, underline this, highlight this. If there's something you want to say to God, it should be this verse right here. Word for word, quote for quote, says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. Listen to Martha. Martha has sound theology. She calls Jesus Lord. We should call Jesus Lord. She says, Jesus does the will of the Father, and the Father gives to the Son what he asks for. She knows everyone will raise again the last day. She knows revelation. She knows what is coming. And then Jesus gives his fifth I am statement of John's gospel. I wrote down all seven of them in your bulletin, but we'll come to that in the next section. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And her response should be your response. Word for word, we should say this Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Martha is one heck of a Sunday school teacher. No Bible, no veggie tales. Could you imagine how to teach without veggie tales? And she has the gospel down pat from creation to revelation. We should be like Martha. We should teach like Jesus and the disciples. Because if we don't share the whole gospel from creation to revelation, we're not doing our jobs. I am not doing my job. We should be like Martha with a firm understanding. So we've got to move on to the next section. Because we have looked at the setting We have looked at Mary's worship, and we have looked at Martha's faith. The next section is about what Jesus said. We're going to look at death and resurrection. So we're going to start with the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. If you want something you can write down to to put on your mirror, or something to help you with your faith, or to do a Bible study, these are great. So it starts off in John 6, 35 with, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 7, I am the door. John 10, 11, and 14, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then 15, 1, I am the true vine. Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection. You will lie down in death and will rise eternal. And the life, nothing lives without Christ. If we were to flip back to John 1 verses 1 through 5, we read this. This is where John tells us all about this, especially verse 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If it has life, it came through Christ. Eternal life. So we talk about eternal life and the hope of eternal life. We've got a few verses we're going to pull up here. Just to tease this out, to get this idea out. Because Jesus has said, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. That's what he says. So let's go to, to John 28, 10, 28. It says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We talk about eternal security. Why do we believe in eternal security, right there. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then we just read 11.25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the time of their death. We're all going to die. At some point, there will be no more tomorrow. We will all draw our last breath in these bodies. We will all shed the mortal and we'll put on the immortal. Job 14, 1 through 2 says, Mortals born of woman are few of days and full of trouble. They spring up like wildflowers and wither away. Like fleeting shadows, they do not endure. First Timothy 6, 7 say, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. There are holes in our church, aren't there? Empty seats. Empty seats of those who have gone before us. Smiles, laughter, hugs, smells. We won't get again until the other side. When I was writing this, I was thinking about my grandpa Orville. He was a a railroader. He was a railroad electrician. And uh, he was a tall guy, much taller than me. He had a ruddy, bulbous nose and these twinkling eyes, a smile that would light up a room. And he would hug you. (laughs) It was the best hug ever. And he smelled of Old Spice. His silver hair pulled back, his deep voice. I remember I was working at a a building in Boulder. Uh, It was kind of a neat building to work on. It's a training center for lawyers. They were, uh, uh, this building they built, this four-story building, was all full of these courtrooms, real courtrooms. I mean, you would not believe the amount of beautiful cherry wood and mahogany that went into this place. And It was just a school. It was just a school of these mock courtrooms so that lawyers could go in and pretend to have trials so that they could get better at it. I have no idea how much the place cost, but it was a beautiful building. And I was, I was working up on a ladder when, uh, when my mom called. Cell phones were fairly new at the time. I finally had a work cell phone as a supervisor, and she called, and they found him. He was, he was gone. Didn't get another chance. I had a friend in high school. that, um, After we graduated, she went to school at CU Boulder, she was driving home one night. She ran off the side of the road. We don't know if she, you know, deer ran out in front of her, if she got distracted or what happened, but she wrecked and she died. I had seen her just a week before. She, is a, she had dated my best friend for a long time off and on throughout high school. I had seen her. We had listened to music and we had laughed. We had watched a movie. I'd gotten a hug from her and then she was gone. No more. Tomorrow is not promised. The next breath is not promised. And no one gets to decide when. One of the things, if we went back here to the the last verse, God has ordained the times. If we went up to the the top sections, when it's day, it's day, and when it's night, it's night. I have ordained the times. I have set them in place, and no one can change them. Not powers or principalities, no, no fear of darkness. Nothing can overcome it. I have ordained them. And you don't know. You don't know the when. So, what does that leave us with? What do we do with that? Luke 16, verse 16 through 21 teases this idea out. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We are eternal. We are created in God's image. God put a spark of the divine in us. We are separate from the animals in this way. God said it was good, good for us to be made this way, have a physical body and an eternal soul. Death is a moment. It's a change of address. One moment, we will be breathing the last. The next moment, we will be clothed in the immortal. John five twenty through 29 say, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So we should pause. We should take a moment. We should look into the abyss to understand that death is coming. A change of address is coming. Then we need to take a look past death to the other side, to our new address. Because Jesus says he is the life. Not, I have life in me. No. He is life. I didn't obtain life. He is life. He created all things. The rocks, the birds, the trees, the fish, the deer, the coyote running through the backyard. All of them created and sustained by him. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 say exactly this. Say, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Back to John 1, 1-5. It says the exact same thing. We already read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when we talk about Jesus and knowing Jesus, we need to remember who we are talking about. He is the author of creation. He is life. Now, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And we don't want to get too grisly, but let's just say his body is unpleasant. As I said, we are very insulated from death in our culture. The closest to death most of us probably will get will be fishing or hunting, which we do for recreation. And it's funny, most of us, we catch and release fish. Are you a catch and releaser? I'm a catch and releaser. We are insulated from the death that that we are required to, to eat. We don't chop off the heads off of chickens for dinner. We don't slaughter and hang our own cows or pigs for bacon or hamburger. Instead, we go over to Munchies after food bank and we sit down and a nice young person brings us a tray with a burger and fries and Munchies sauce. Most of us will never handle a body. You don't forget, by the way. You remember their faces, the smell, the place. Because it is like looking into abyss when you look at the lifeless corpse of your fellow human in one sense they look like they should just get up on the other the light of life has been snuffed out the spark of the eternal has fled lazarus has been dead for four days rigor mortis the stiffening of the body has come and gone liver mortis the pooling of the blood has come and has gone decay has started smell has started. The bacteria inside and outside the body has begun the work of decomposition. In comparison to the other two resurrections, there is no doubt that Lazarus is dead. Jairus' daughter and the widow's son were both right after death. Jairus learns his daughter is dead as he and Jesus are headed to the house. The widow's son is being carried to the tomb when Jesus wakes him. In Hebrew tradition, like a lot of ancient cultures, they believed the soul hovered over the body for a couple of days before departing. There's enough people that were wrongfully declared dead to cause that. Remember, we used to, not too long ago, hold wakes. We always had a wake for a person before a burial. Or remember when they used to tie a string to a person inside of a coffin, right, with with a bell above, to prevent burying a sick but alive person used to happen. We are rare. This instance in history is rare in our insulation from death. We live in a very safe world. We have long lifespans, abundant food, medical care, and war and violence are generally far from us. We don't live in fear of the king of Montrose and his army. We don't hope our king is wise and makes alliance with Delta and Olathe to protect us. Mary and Martha would have no idea how to live in 21st century Fruta. See, women were responsible for taking care of the dead. In just a few months, these same two remarkable women will be bringing spices to another tomb to care for Jesus. So Lazarus has been dead for four days. The tradition would have been for people to gather for seven days. People would wail and moan, screaming. If you were wealthy, you could hire professional mourners, people who would cry out, scream, and moan and wail. That's why there is such a crowd at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The mourning would go on for a month or so. Men would tear their their robes. They would tear them over the heart, or they would tear the hem, depending. Right? Right? If they felt powerless, that the hem, the little the stitching on their hem, that indicated their power. The bigger your your, your itching was all around that, that indicated how wealthy or how powerful you were in society, they would they would tear the hem if they felt powerless or they would tear their garment over their heart. So the sign that they were getting better is when they would stitch that over, but you would still have that place, but it would be stitched back up. I was hurt, but I'm getting better. I've stitched it back closed. So Martha hears Jesus' coming and goes out to meet him. And Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. have kept this man from dying. Wait till they see what happens next. Mary clearly missed the first messenger, but the mourners, family and friends, see Mary and Martha talking, and they follow Mary, assuming she is going to go mourn at the tomb. In the midst of her heartbreak and sorrow, Mary and Martha don't run away, or hide away, or lock themselves in their room. I can remember, I think most of you can relate, There's a few times when I wondered how the sun dared to rise. How dare the world continue to turn? How dare a new day show its face? How come the world did not stop? How did it not recognize its own horrors? How did it not know the hurt and the pain that it had caused? How did it not stop? It's unjust, it's unfair that the world would continue turning. Mary and Martha, they don't run away, though, or hide away or lock themselves in their room. They go to Jesus. In the midst of their hurt, they go to him. And we should follow their example. They don't hold back. Mary and Martha both tell him, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21, 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the hardest part about living on earth, is seeing, is feeling, is experiencing the loss and knowing God could have stopped it. There are volumes written about this very subject, about the times that we hear about earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis. Why does a loving God and good God allow these terrible things to happen? And it's okay. It's okay to go to God and say, Lord, if only... But you can't stop there. You can't stop there. You have to be like Mary and Martha. The first thing is you have to remember who you are talking to. King of kings, Lord of lords, author of creation, author of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Mary falls at his feet. Mary and Martha surrender to his will. So now we turn to Jesus. Because we have looked at Mary's worship, we have looked at Martha's faith, we have looked at death and resurrection and eternal life. So we turn to Jesus and we get an insight into what God thinks and feels amidst these tragedies. But you guys, but I often picture God like, like Zeus, you know, sitting up on his heavenly throne, lightning bolt in his hand, white robes glowing, right? Stern, maybe angry. Instead, we get this picture, because that's not an accurate picture. Jesus said, this is not going to end in death. Jesus has said so. Jesus knows the end of the story. Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is life. So these next passages are huge. So first, look at how Jesus felt about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says Jesus loves them. Verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. There's two verses, by the way, verse 3 and verse 5, where that verse love, the word love is used. The first one is phileo, it's friend love. The second one is agape, divine love. Jesus loved them both as a friend and as God. We have both phileo and agape there. Jesus loved them in his humanity and his divinity. Second thing, notice Jesus listened. You ever wonder when you're praying, Were you ever wondering if, you know, when you're talking to God, does God even hear me? Is he there? Does he care? Absolutely he does. He listened and he says right to the disciples, this sickness will not end in death, but will be for God's glory and that the son may be glorified. Notice though, Jesus sticks to the plan. There's a plan. There's a plan of salvation. There's a plan for the world. I think and this is just me talking out my backside i think this sickness on lazarus was satan and i think that i think this was a temptation i think satan was trying to derail the plan i think he was trying to get jesus to go against god's will and to just save this man to resurrect him because they were friends i know jesus loves this guy i know jesus is friends with this guy if i take him out jesus will depart from the father Instead, Jesus waits two days. He says, no, it's all part of the plan. We are going to be subject to the plan. So when God doesn't answer right away or when he doesn't do the things you expect him to do, we have to have faith. We have to say, you know what? I know it's part of the plan. I know that in the end, it's all gonna work out for good. He said it's gonna work out for good. So then when the time was right, Jesus came. When it was in accordance with God's will, Jesus came. I have to ask you, would you rather have meaningless tragedy, senseless death? Would you rather have it be for no purpose? Or would you rather that good be brought out of the tragedy, that something good, a victory, a glorification, a hallelujah, would be raised? If a bad thing has to happen... I would much rather it further the kingdom than just be meaningless and pointless. I would much rather suffer a loss that ultimately leads to truth and justice and redemption than have a meaningless life. What about you? Now, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't care or that he doesn't suffer. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. King of kings, Lord of lords, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the living water, the light of life. He sees his loved ones suffering and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then he wept. That is the character of God the character of Jesus. The same power that walked on water, the same power that created bread and fish from nothing, the same power that healed the blind man, that healed the paralytic, the rock of ages. His spirit is an ocean of fresh water, an eternal wellspring, an infinitely deep pool of life. And it was rippled and stirred. His friends and his loved ones suffered. And there was... No cold judgment, no stern reprimand, no lightning bolt. No, Jesus wept. In his humanity and in his compassion, our Lord wept. Big stuff today, huh? So we've talked about worship, we talked about faith, we talked about sharing the gospel and making sure we quickly share the entire gospel. We talked about death. And resurrection and eternal life. And then last, we got a look at the character of Jesus and we got to see his compassion. Jesus is a good friend, isn't he? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we are thankful. We are thankful for this time that we have together. We are thankful for your word. We are blessed that we get another day, another opportunity. You have put so many wonderful people in our lives. Please, Lord, help us to hold on to them, to love them, to cherish them, as we know that you do. Father, we seek to have your heart, your heart of compassion, that we would weep with those who mourn, that we would suffer with those who suffer that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and arms to hold those that are hurting. Lord, we have this week coming up. We ask that you put a blessing over our valley, that you bless our children, that you bless our schools, that you bless our workplaces, that your abundance and your provision and your glory would pour out. We ask for wisdom and guidance and for your words to be on our lips, for your thoughts to be in our head, and for your actions to be in our hands and feet. And we ask all of that in the suffering name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go fellowship.